But this morning we're going to talk about Mary. We are in uh, a series called The Story That Stills Our Fears. And the whole story of the coming of Jesus is full of opportunity for fear and trembling. And the angel over and over responds with, do not be afraid. So we're going to talk about Mary. And this morning we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38 and more. So stay tuned. In the sixth month of Mary's pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will conceive and give birth to a son. It was so important he said it twice. Just joking, he didn't, I did. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel asked, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left. Wow. I mean, that's explosive. The angel comes to Mary and basically tells her that she, well, not basically, without mincing any words, says, you're going to be the mother of the Most High God. <laughs> now, it's important to remember the context here. Mary, betrothed to be married, not yet married to Joseph, uh, in that time would have been around 13 years old when she would have had this angelic encounter, and 14 uh, very likely when she gave birth to Jesus. Um, does it, has anybody ever had or have now a teenager? I do. I have two. And they never cease to amaze me, you know, uh, in so many incredible ways and also so many bewildering ways. Um, Teenagers are not the first, we wouldn't, we wouldn't categorize teenagers as the ones to have the logical, sound-minded reactions to things. Am I correct on that? Oftentimes, if we keep our own teenagers in mind, we can remember or call into account the times where they've heard some news, and it has not landed well and they have responded with enormous emotions and reactions, uh, explosive, some could even say. 
So let's keep that in context here as we think about who this child is that is receiving this visitation. She's a child. And I'm blown away by Mary's response. I really am. For it says here that the angel hadn't even given any information and she was troubled just by the greeting. Let's read this a little closer. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. At that, Mary was greatly troubled. Interesting, like it's not surprising, I guess, that a teenager wouldn't be shocked at an angelic visitation. I mean, nowadays, there's so much, you know, we see so much supernatural stuff on TV and kids have like alternate realities with all these games and stuff. You know, Zechariah was terrified at the sight of the angel. Mary was like, I guess she wasn't, which is amazing. Way to go, Mary. But she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why would Mary be troubled just at the greeting? Let's look at that for a second here. The word greetings uh, in the Greek is a word that looks like chero and is not pronounced that way. And I won't really try to pronounce it because it's got a lot of like guttural like <laughs> stuff in, in the pronunciation. But what it means is rejoice exceedingly. The next words are, you who are highly favored. Now the Greek word for this means highly favored, but in Ephesians chapter one, verse six, the same word is used uh, that favor and grace has been freely bestowed upon you. And then it says, the Lord is with you. Mary would have known, so first, the angel is saying, rejoice exceedingly because you have been bestowed high favor and the Lord is with you. What could be translated is rejoice exceedingly for God has placed his grace and favor upon your life and is about to call you to something impossible. That's what the greeting means. And Mary would have known this because every time, if we look back in the Old Testament, all the, the, the big characters, uh, Abraham, Joshua, when they were told to go into the promised land and, and uh, claim it for, for their own, um, Gideon, when he was called to free the Israelites from the Midianites and the, you know, the, all the ites, um, every time that God was about to move his people into something impossible, he said, the Lord is with you or I will be with you. So Mary would have known what that statement meant. So before he even gets started, she's not afraid of the announcement that, you know, she's like, oh, what is about to come out of this guy's mouth? That's the fear in that moment that Mary is thinking. She was afraid, but her response to Gabriel is absolutely astounding. For she goes, he goes on, he obviously senses her wondering. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. And he goes on to explain to her. And then at the end, we read, I am the Lord's servant. May it be fulfilled in me. So she doesn't question the announcement once it's come. She responds with faith. 
She asks a question, but primarily she responds with faith. And I, I was thinking about this in the context of Mary being a teenager, and I asked um, my oldest son, as I was in his room with him, we were hanging out a bit, and I said, hey, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think about being a teenager and an angel is standing in front of you saying, you will be the mother of the Messiah? Would you be terrified? And his words were so amazing. He said, well, if God was making me the mother of the Messiah, I guess I'd know it'd have to work out because it's the Messiah. <laughs> and I was like, right, right, yes. Yes, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I think that there's a little bit of that in Mary too here. There's a, a childlike faith of, okay. And I remember those days of my faith in the Lord when I was younger, just like, yeah, okay, God said it. And I think, you know, she responds amazingly, but we don't need to fool ourselves into thinking that Mary throughout this situation had no fears whatsoever. Um, she responds with faith in that moment. And then she goes to Elizabeth to, to see Elizabeth pregnant, and they just have like a full-on Holy Spirit party. Like, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She prophesies, which confirms to Mary that which has been spoken to her. And then Mary bursts into song, talking about all the things that God has done, and she's speaking in present or a past tense, but it's of what is to come. She's applying it as often written in the, uh, in the Old Testament. They would speak in the past tense, referring to what is coming as a, as a statement of faith. This was a very controversial announcement. Mary had lots to be afraid of. She responds amazing, but there were some things that we could definitely pull from here that she could have been facing a virginal conception, the power of God, the announcement that Jesus will be a challenge to all human empires. Politically and royally, the emphasis on this is enormous. God's son, Jesus, the ruler of the world, in that time happening, in that moment, Augustus Caesar had just been declared and was called the savior of the world for establishing the Roman Empire. So this was big. The story was explosive. The burden was enormous. And the weight of it was tremendous. And here a 13-year-old girl has it placed on her shoulders. Have you ever faced a humanly impossible task? One where there is no way that in our own power and wisdom this situation could work out. This is what Mary was faced with. Can you imagine all of the unknowns? All of the questions that Mary would have had. We read a lot about Mary in the first few chapters and um, in chapter two, we have Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And there, Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and prophesies. And then he turns to Mary. Do you know what he says? 
I didn't plan this, but it's, I'm going to read it because it's terrifying. Jesus, no. Oh, yeah. He turns to Mary and said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So you've got that going for you, Mary. Then when Jesus is 12, they go to Jerusalem uh, and or... Yeah, whatever. They go, and Jesus stays behind in the temple, right? And they hilariously um, just leave town with their group and don't even, they just assume Jesus is with him, them, but he's not. And then they go back and they spend three days searching for Jesus. How terrifying would that have been? Mary was there when she watched her son go through, perform the miracles. She was there, in fact, she helped orchestrate the first miracle, she doesn't get it wrong every time. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, she calls Jesus' sanity into question when he is commanding people to follow him. Mary was faced time and time again with like the, the, the reality of the, the enormity of the situation that she was in. The reality of the responsibility that was on her shoulders. I mean... Being the mother of the Messiah, like the Messiah had to go through terrible twos. And let's not, I was reading through, I was trying to find stories so that I could be funny and relate and everything. And I, I used to have a blog and I read through some of my old writings from when our boys were toddlers. And man, like Jack was a nightmare. <laughs> amazing kid, incredibly intelligent, but like just had complete joy in throwing items, uh, breakable ones, non, he would throw himself, in fact, down the stairs. Like, let's not, you know, kid ourselves. Jesus was a toddler, and Mary and Joseph were faced with the responsibility of keeping the Messiah alive. Can you imagine the fear in that moment when they didn't have him in their party when they were returning home and he was in the temple? Like the thoughts that would be going through her mind of what have I done? I've lost the Messiah. Wondering, what if my son is out of his mind? Wondering, could this really be happening? Is this really happening? And sometimes we go through, you know, incredible seasons of our lives where God confirms it with his word and he prophesies and we have signs and there's angelic visitations and we have all of this before us and still down the road when we're put in the place of obedience and following through we struggle to remember what God has spoken I think that the fear of the unknown is probably one of the most relatable fears for all of us um, if you've dealt uh, or had uh, any kind of struggle with mental health, you know that anxiety often is fueled by the fear of the unknowns, the not knowing the outcomes. And we can trap ourselves in loops of irrational fear that make no sense to anybody else, but in our minds it is so gripping and it's so real. Fear of the unknown in our situations and what's going to happen in the future 
fear of the unknown of our children and their spiritual walks with the Lord. Fear of simply keeping them alive. <laughs> okay, I do have a story about that, actually. Um, there was a time we lived in Victoria. Lyndon was around six years old. And so Jack would have been four. Lucy was one. Mira was not yet. And I went out to the store, and Mike was in his office working, which was separate. Uh, it was like a, a renovated garage. And so we made abundantly clear that Daddy is home. He's in his office. And the kids, we had it all set up so that like our living room was completely gated off, and Lucy was safe in there, and they were all you know watching a show or something. And um, so <laughs> I come home from the store, and Mike is on his bike about to leave the house. And I said, where are you going? And he said, Lyndon's gone. And he's gone to the grocery store. So we lived at that time a, approximately a kilometer, maybe even a little, maybe 1.1 kilometers, away from the, the local grocery store. And it involved corners and streets to cross and whatnot. And I said, what do you mean he's gone to the grocery store? He said, he's looking for you. He forgot I was home. And so what had happened was Lucy had pinched her finger in a gate or something, a drawer, and started, you know, wildly screaming. And Jackson, at the age of four, would have likely just joined in in the chaos and was also screaming. And in that moment, Lyndon forgot that Daddy was home, and he remembered Mommy's at the store. I will go get Mum. And so our six-year-old son took off in sock feet and ran the whole way to the grocery store. And I wasn't even at that store. I, we just, you know, you say to your kids, I'm going to the store. But that can mean any number of stores. That doesn't specifically. So we are both frantic. Like, what, what does he even know how to get to the grocery store? How are we going to find him? What are we going to do? Do we just leave the kids? And I'm like, why were you leaving our other two children? Like, OK, let's talk about that later. And uh, he had a plan, don't worry. He had it all worked out. The, it was all good. Um, and so what ended up happening, we're standing there freaking out. And we get a phone call from an, a friend who was in our life group who happened to be in the grocery store and saw Lyndon march in in his sock feet, looking you know, on a mission, but afraid. And she you know, called us, and he was safe and home. But what a, what a paralyzing fear that overcame us in that moment. What was going to happen to our son? Would we ever see him again? We were trusting in the Lord, but also trusting in the goodness of our village around us and, and that nothing would happen. And so We have a lot in our lives, situations that happen that can throw us into very real fear. And I actually, like, I just want to say, fear, God created us. And I, he, he blessed us with emotions. And I think that fear is one of them. Fear was given to us for a reason. And we can use it for safety, for flight or fight responses in a moment of emergency. 
Um, but it's what we do with our fear in a moment and how we respond to it that we need to constantly remember and keep in check. So how do we do this? How does Jesus still all of our fears? He is with you. Jesus is with you. We have the promise of Mary when, Jesus, when the angel says to her, I will be with you. He promised it to the Israelites, to Mary, to Gideon, to Joshua, to Abraham, to us through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says something. Am I in the right chapter? I am. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all of these things and remain with you. Jesus promised to us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we go through situations, we can remember that God is with us. N.T. Wright quotes, uh, says this, Mary is the supreme example of what always happens when God is at work by grace through human beings. God's power from the outside and the indwelling from within of the Holy Spirit together result in things being done which would have been unthinkable any other way. He is with you. Jesus stills our fears by taking initiative. Right from the very beginning, God has taken initiative in our lives. If we look at the story of the five trees, which is the story of the gospel that we've just finished um, our last series, we can see that from the moment we chose our own freedom and the fall of Adam and Eve took place, the fall of humanity, God instantly activated and launched into action his story of redemption. The greatest love story ever written, he took initiative from that moment on to prove his faithfulness, his power, and his love and redemption through Jesus. You can know, my friends, that Jesus is taking initiative in your life, that when you are going through things, remember the big picture how easy it is for us to become so tunnel-visioned at times in our fear that we can think that even the resurrection of Jesus, it simply cannot apply to this situation. It happens to all of us. But let's not forget that God's faithfulness comes after the sin of humanity and is proven through the redemption and forgiveness of the cross and is a promise of renewal. Jesus takes initiative. Finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. I love this verse. This is where we get some wonderful Christmas carols. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Jesus says in verse 27, after he promises his Holy Spirit to remain with us, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus promises us his peace. And I love that little line in there that says, I do not give to you in the way that the world gives. So often we try to muster up our own peace. We try to logically reason our way out of fear. And it's good to have common sense. It's good to have wisdom. In fact, the Bible promises us wisdom when we ask for it. But Jesus is saying, I give you my peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So we can trust in that. So what do we do when we're going through a situation where the unknowns feel overwhelming? We'd be like Mary. There was those memes a while ago that was like, don't be like Ted, be like so-and-so, be like Mary. If you're Ted in this room, that just totally came randomly and I'm not saying in my message to not be like Ted, okay? Oh, that was close. Be like Mary. Trust. Trust in the Lord. Mary, um, I want to just compare Zechariah and Mary for a second, and no offense, Trevor, uh, you did a really great job um, on your message last week on Zechariah. But as I was studying and reading through and looking at the two stories, there's quite a contrast in reaction to the angelic visitation. Zechariah was old, uh, which is not to discredit him, but he had spiritual experience, he had the wisdom of age, and he had life experience. Mary was young, perhaps even still naive, but she clearly knew the word of the Lord, the written scriptures. It says here that Mary, uh, sorry, Zechariah had fear at the sight of the angel. Mary had fear at the words of the angel. So instantly and right away, Zechariah is full into fear without even the angel opening his mouth, which I mean, I can understand if it, I mean, I don't know how tall Gabriel is. Maybe he is of small stature, but I would imagine that he was large and it would have been quite a, a sight to behold. But immediately, when the, the, the word of the angel came to Zechariah saying that you will, your wife who is unable to conceive will have a son, he asks for proof. He doesn't ask a question. He asks for proof and then backs it up by all of the reasons that this should be impossible. Zechariah was a priest. He would have known all of the stories of barren women that God had performed miraculous, uh, given them children miraculously. There's Abraham and Sarah. There's Jacob and Rachel. There's um, uh, Manoah's wife who was barren who birthed Samson, there was Hannah, who was also barren, who birthed Samuel. The list goes on and on. And just as Mary would have been able to recall the stories of God saying, I will be with you, Zechariah had every opportunity to recall the situations of where God had performed this very miracle that the angel was declaring to him. 
But instead, in his perhaps spiritual maturity, uh, he lost sight of that, and his response was fear. Mary, on the other hand, it says this. Mary took into account what the angel was saying and wondered. There we go. Mary took into account what the angel was saying and wondered what greeting this might have been. The second way that we can be like Mary is to wonder and to treasure. Throughout the whole story of Mary and her involvement in the scripture, in the gospels, I find it so interesting that three times it says something along the lines, and I'll back it up in a moment, she pondered what was about to happen. Uh, A second time, she treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. And then at the temple, she treasured this in her heart. If you look at the, um, the words of these two, the, the wonder and the treasure, wonder is the, uh, the Greek word dialogitsiomai, okay? And it means to bring together different reasons, to ponder, to, um, to dialogue is what you know, we get the English word from, Mary, before the angel had even spoken, she went deep into thought considering what the angel had spoken. She pondered. At the stable when the shepherds showed up in chapter 2, verse 19, they showed up and they confirmed that the angel, the angel had said to them they would find the baby in the manger, which was a further confirmation to Mary that God was... Uh, continuing his work and following through on what he had said. And in 19, it says, uh, they were all amazed and everything. And then it says, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. She cherished, she took account, she remembered what God was doing. I don't think Mary took the responsibility lightly. I think she took the challenge that had been placed before her and took it deeply seriously, and we see it time and time again, once again in the, in the temple when, um, when Jesus was lost, and then they come back, and, and Jesus kind of like rebukes them and was like, why were you even searching for me? Wouldn't you know I'm in my father's house doing my father's, and they're like, oh, okay. Um, but then he was obedient, and he went back to Nazareth with them, and Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Throughout Mary's life, consistently she was faced with the opportunity, disguised as a heartbreaking or terrifying situation, to choose to trust in the promises of God spoken to her by Gabriel and confirmed by Elizabeth, by the shepherds, by Simeon, and proven to her through the miracles that she had witnessed surrounding Jesus. She didn't get it always right. In fact, one time she questioned her own son's sanity. But through her continued obedience, we can see that she stood firm on those promises. Friends, when we are facing immeasurable fear, overwhelming situations, may we remember the faithfulness of God. May we call into account the things that he has spoken in our lives. 
May we remember what side of the cross we're living on. What an incredible gift of love and grace to be living in a time and on the side of the cross that is victorious and resurrected. Where because of Jesus, death is beaten, sins are forgiven, life and hope are freely offered. Healing is normal and joy is natural. This is what is made available to us through the hope of Jesus Christ in this season. We may not always feel that way, but man, it's available to us. And if we learn how to respond to our fear in a way that draws us closer to God, then we can find healing and joy in the presence of Jesus. You may be faced with a lot of uncertainty today, perhaps a diagnosis for yourself or for somebody that you love, finances for the future, for the uh, ominous recession that is promised to come. Maybe you feel uncertainty surrounding our government or your children's faith journey or job security or food security right now. Maybe you feel uncertain about your future partner. Maybe you feel uncertain about your current relationship. You may feel uncertain about wars or rumors of wars. Fear is a natural and God-given emotion. It's okay to feel afraid, but we're invited to manage our fear in a way that brings us hope, brings us peace. And we can only do that through Jesus. Hope in the natural is simply the wish for the best outcome. Supernatural hope is a certainty that God is faithful and good. Therefore, my circumstances and outcome do not need to affect my deep-rooted joy found in Jesus. How is that possible? It's because it's supernatural hope. And that hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Natural hope is something we try to muster up on our own. Supernatural hope is found and freely given through the gift of Jesus Christ. How many of you could use a little supernatural hope this Christmas season? This message is not a challenge to you to try harder, to muster up your faith and be a little bit more spiritual and maybe that's why you're not seeing the outcomes that you thought were gonna happen. No, my friends, it's a reminder of the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's the reminder that supernatural hope is received through Jesus. So I wanna invite all of us this morning to look into our lives. Acknowledge the things that you're afraid of. What are you afraid of? But don't stop there. Allow the Prince of Peace, who has promised his peace to be with us, to come into your situation and to bring hope. So Lord, we come. 
shepherd, we take time to treasure the things that you have spoken, the promises that you've revealed, the miracles that you have already done in our lives. Help us to not become so tunnel-visioned in our current circumstance that we lose sight of all of those things. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And in this Christmas season, as we we build the, the, the excitement and the anticipation of the coming of the birth of Jesus Christ, as we march through day to day being reminded of that, may the hope in our souls be filled. And may we see your supernatural hope in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Help us to be bringers of hope this Christmas season. Supernatural hope. In your holy and powerful name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite um, you all to stand with me. And um, I know that some of our prayer team is here this morning. If you can make yourselves available, we're going to respond in song uh, as a congregation in faith. And if you need um, some specific prayer, we have people here who will come and, and gladly pray and believe with you. Let's respond together. message your ministry make a difference in our everyday life this week and we need you for it may your spirit move upon us 
and go with us as we go now into your world. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said with a smile, have a wonderful afternoon and a wonderful week in front of you. Again, our prayer team is available for you as some are leaving. Please come and receive prayer and encouragement for your day and the week.